Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, it's a return to ancient Egypt. The ruler we're going to learn about is Hatshepsut, one of the few well-known female pharaohs of Egypt. Her rule, like many powerful women throughout history, was considered controversial by those who came afterwards. Like Wu Zetian, we'll definitely go over why her rule is viewed as such. And again, spoiler, it's mostly sexism. Who could have seen that coming? But while Hatshepsut was an incredible ruler in her own right, the mystery of her rule is actually why she is so famous. It's a story that stretches far past her own life thousands of years ago, up to fairly recent in human history. You see, Hatshepsut is mostly known for having been completely unknown for so long. I'll try not to spoil anything too much, but we did not even know she existed until the 19th century. How on earth could this happen? Well, you'll just have to tune in to find out. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to 15th century BCE in Unearthing the Rule of Hatshepsut. Even though we already had a history lesson over ancient Egypt, we've come a long way since the rule of Narmer and the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt, about a millennium and a half to be exact. By the time Hatshepsut was crowned pharaoh, Egypt was in the middle of its 18th dynasty. To give you a bit more perspective, Narmer was the first king of the first dynasty of ancient Egypt. Each dynasty was more or less a series of pharaohs descended from the same bloodline or through a marriage into that bloodline. If the bloodline ends without an heir or there was some sort of cultural shift resulting in a change of how Egypt was ruled, a new dynasty would start again. So in that 1500 years between Narmer and Hatshepsut, Egypt had undergone a change of that capacity 17 times. The 18th dynasty, also called the Tutmosid dynasty, was the first in a period we refer to as the New Kingdom of Egypt. The New Kingdom was a period when some of Egypt's most famous rulers reigned, such as Ramses II, Tutankhamun, aka King Tut, and Hatshepsut, obviously. Because I'll probably cover multiple rulers of the New Kingdom, I'll try to keep this part of our history lesson brief. The New Kingdom was an age following what was known as the Second Intermediate Period. The second intermediate period was a break from normal Egyptian tradition. It all began when the 13th dynasty of Egypt proved to be a relatively weak group of rulers. It was, however, the first dynasty to include a ruler who spoke a Semitic language. Semitic languages are languages that developed in the Middle East, some of the most prominent among them being Arabic, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Taking advantage of the weak pharaohs, a noble family of Levantine origin decided to take matters of rule into their own hands, a Levantine meaning from the area on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, including Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. This group formed the 14th dynasty. Egypt would remain under the power of Middle Eastern descended families up until the 17th dynasty when the native Egyptian nobility decided to fight back and regain independence from the foreign nobility. The first ruler of the 18th dynasty, Pharaoh Amosa I, was the brother of the last pharaoh of the 17th dynasty, Kamosa. 
Amosa I managed to finish the job of the 17th dynasty by fully expelling the Hyksos, the ethnic group of the 15th and 16th dynasties. Amosa's reign reunified Egypt under native rule, and he further expanded the borders of Egypt by conquering lands in the Levant. Amosa's successor, Amenhotep I, continued Egypt's expansion, but this time to the south in Nubia. Amenhotep would die without siring an official heir. After Amenhotep came Tutmosa I. He may have been a son of Amenhotep, but if so, through a concubine, which was why he would not have been the official heir. Tutmosa may have also been the first king to build a tomb for himself in the Valley of the Kings, a daunting name which we will get into later in the episode. He would father at least five children, three of whom died before Tutmosa himself died. Two children would survive and find their own futures on the throne of Egypt. The first was his son, the pharaoh Tutmosa II. He also had a daughter, the future queen of Egypt, Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut was born in 1507 BCE to Pharaoh Tutmosa and Amosa, his queen and official wife, and not the first pharaoh of the dynasty despite the same name. That will come into play in a moment. Her name roughly translates to foremost of noble ladies, a very fitting name for a princess and future pharaoh. Because the beginning of her story is heavily entwined with that of Tutmosa II, I should mention that they were only half-siblings. Tutmosa II was the son of Tutmosa I and Mutnofret, a secondary wife of the pharaoh. Hatshepsut had an older, full-blooded brother named Amenmosa. In the original plan of Tutmosa I's reign, Amenmosa was his heir. However, Amenmosa died sometime during his father's tenure as king. This left a problem of who to name as heir. Pharaoh bloodline politics aligned pretty much with every other nation's royal bloodline politics. The king, uh, Pharaoh in this case, would pass the throne to his firstborn son of his official wife, Amosa in Tutmosa I's case. But what happens when there is no firstborn son or the firstborn son dies? In the latter case, it would go to the secondborn son of the pharaoh and chief wife. Cool, so it would go to Hatshepsut's other brother, Watjamosa he was in fact a son of Amosa. Well, Wachimosa also died before his father. On the topic of child death, I'll casually throw in that Hatshepsut had a younger sister named Nefrubidi, who also died as a baby. Now, there are no more sons of Tutmosa and Amosa. If Tutmosa had any other children that I have yet to mention, I couldn't find any evidence of them. This only leaves Hatshepsut and Tutmosa II. While the throne of Pharaoh was able to pass to a son of a secondary wife, this was usually seen as a weaker choice. But obviously, the throne can't go to a woman. That would be crazy, right? <sighs> so, what does Pharaoh Tutmosa do? He has the two half-siblings marry each other. Now, Tutmosa II is married into the royal family and has a stronger claim to the throne of Egypt. Yeah. If you want the situation to be 
any weirder than it already is, this all happened when Hatshepsut was somewhere around 12 to 14 years old. Tutmosa I died in 1493 BCE, after which Tutmosa II ascended to the throne with Hatshepsut as his queen. They were both still teenagers at this time. Tutmosa II's reign is not very well documented, and there's plenty of debate among historians over how long he was actually pharaoh. Some historians say as short as 3 years, while others say as long as 13 years. What we do think we know is that many of the campaigns that were waged during his rule were probably completely planned by military generals rather than young Tutmosa himself. Tutmosa II had two children. He and Hatshepsut had a daughter together named Neferure. He also had a son with a secondary wife, Iset, and this child would eventually become Pharaoh Tutmosa III. Once again, we see the same situation with Tutmosa II that we had with his father. Luckily, Tutmosa II is completely fine with passing the throne onto his son without having Tutmosa III marry his half-sister. So when Tutmosa II died, probably in 1479 BCE, it was a simple transition from father to son. As I mentioned before, there are very few records over the actual reign of Tutmosa II. This has led to all sorts of theories as to how Hatshepsut ruled alongside him as queen. There are some scholars who say that Tutmosa II was a frail king, and his half-sister took advantage of this in order to enact her own political agenda. However, this is probably just historians wanting to put down Hatshepsut for all the usual sexist reasons. A woman who would eventually find herself in a position usually occupied by men? Obviously, she was power-hungry and other words that I won't use on this show. But moving on, Tutmosa III is now Pharaoh of Egypt, except for the fact that he is only two years old. As the wife of the former Pharaoh and stepmother of the new Pharaoh, Hatshepsut now held the title of Regent of Egypt, essentially the temporary ruler until Tutmosa was old enough to rule in his own right. Monuments made to Tutmosa III during this time depicted him as a full-fledged man doing his kingly duties. You know, despite the fact that he wasn't even 10. And in the background was Hatshepsut standing by as regent. It's hard to tell what the average Egyptian citizen would have thought of these depictions. Would they have known that it was actually the opposite way around? Did they know their pharaoh was still a toddler? As I said, it's impossible to say. This was just the norm of ancient Egypt. If you were male and pharaoh, even if you were still in diapers, you were depicted as an adult in full pharaonic garb. However, something changed after about seven years into Hatshepsut's time as regent. Suddenly, it was not Tutmosa III depicted as pharaoh, but Hatshepsut. At some point, she had done the unexpected and crowned herself pharaoh of Egypt. Now the obvious question is, why did she do this? There are two major theories. One is the dumb theory of strong woman equals cruel equals kicks her stepson off the throne. The other theory that's been gaining traction in more recent years is that there was possible political strife in Egypt. 
You have to remember that Tutmos Third is still a child, and nobles usually don't like taking orders from children, even if the real power of the state is in the hands of a capable adult. Other nobles may have conspired against the young pharaoh in order to seize the throne for their own gains. In this case, in order to keep the throne safe for Tutmosis' eventual rule, Hatshepsut saw that the only option was to crown herself pharaoh, at least temporarily. Nonetheless, this was an unprecedented event. She would have to find a way to make sure the people understood they were still in good hands. This was achieved in two ways. One, Hatshepsut would only be depicted as male in all of her official artwork and monuments. This is probably because she was only the second or third female pharaoh since Narmer had become pharaoh a millennium and a half before, and the last female pharaoh's rule had been a pretty rough decade for Egypt. The Egyptians would trust a male ruler. And two, Hatshepsut took on the new royal name of Matkare, meaning truth is the soul of Ra. Mat, translated as truth in Hatshepsut's name, also meant order established by the gods. Essentially, Hatshepsut was pulling a big, things are fine, you just gotta trust me. And the thing is, it worked. And as I'll get into next, it worked really well. <laughs> Hatshepsut is known for being one of the most successful pharaohs in all of Egyptian history. Her rule saw economic prosperity and peace for almost everyone in her kingdom. She is also known for two major accomplishments. The first I'll get into is her re-establishment and expansion of Egypt's foreign trading networks. During the reign of the Hyksos, the 15th and 16th dynasties, Egypt mainly traded with Canaan and Cyprus. While trade with Egypt's southern and eastern neighbors still existed, it wasn't the same as it had been before the Second Intermediate Period. So, Hatshepsut thought to remedy this by creating a fleet to facilitate trade on the Red Sea. This fleet was able to sail directly to the southern parts of the Arabian Peninsula as well as further south to the Horn of Africa, that part of eastern Africa that sticks out a bit. Around this time in the Horn of Africa was a nation called Punit. Punit was a land of riches, at least that's what we can assume based on what Egypt was able to get from them back in the day. Its exact location is unknown, though there's general consensus that it was located in land that is either modern-day Eritrea or Ethiopia. Some historians say it was in Yemen across the Red Sea, while a few even suggest it was as far away as Sri Lanka. Uh, Egypt was good with boats, but not that good. In a famous trade voyage ordered by the pharaoh, Egyptian traders came back with ebony, ivory, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, going above and beyond the three wise men of the Bible just for the heck of it. The myrrh was traded via 
actual living myrrh trees, which the trading vessels carried in baskets for the sake of transplanting the trees into Egyptian soil. As far as we can tell, this was the first recorded attempt at such a feat. Another first for the trade expedition was Hatshepsut's use of the frankincense. She had the resin ground into a powder that she used to make coal eyeliner, that black eyeliner famously worn by Egyptian pharaohs. As I said, this was apparently the first time anyone had done this, as frankincense was usually used as an incense or perfume, while coal was made from other minerals such as stibnite, galena, and malachite. How do we know, or at least are generally assuming, that this information is correct? because researchers found a carved inscription reading, Never were such feats brought to any king since the world was. This inscription, along with an incredibly detailed relief depicting the voyage, were found in the mortuary temple of Hatshepsut. Besides the massive trade deals Hatshepsut planned, she's also known for her building projects, specifically the Mortuary Temple of Hatshepsut. In usual pharaonic fashion, Hatshepsut got to planning her final resting place during her own lifetime. Her grand temple and tomb was situated within the appropriately titled Valley of the Kings. This location was across the Nile from the city of Thebes, the capital of Egypt during Hatshepsut's reign. In modern days, it is known for being home to at least 64 different tombs, all belonging to pharaohs and top-tier nobility. I won't go too much into the temple now, because it will play a very important part later in the story. I'll avoid a rambling architecture lesson like I did for the Parthenon, sorry, but Hatshepsut's temple, called Jeser Jeseru, or Holy of Holies, was very influential towards the building projects of later pharaohs. In fact, Several later pharaohs would go so far as to slap their names onto other architectural projects Hatshepsut had completed during her tenure as pharaoh. Also, don't worry, I'll add a few pictures of the temple on Twitter. The Jeser Jeseru is even known today as one of ancient Egypt's greatest architectural wonders. But it took us a very long time to realize that this accomplishment was created by Hatshepsut. As I said before, other pharaohs would take credit for her works, including taking over her tomb and calling it their own. But it wasn't just the tomb. Almost all of Hatshepsut's rule would come to be erased from history. Hatshepsut died in January of 1458 BCE, likely from bone cancer based on testing done on her mummy. She had ruled for about 22 years. Wait, we're already at her death? There's still plenty more show to go. Yes, I'm getting there. With Hatshepsut's death, Thutmose III was finally able to rule as pharaoh in his own right. He continued in his stepmother's example for about 20 years. Then, things changed. Tutmosa had most of Hatshepsut's monuments destroyed in an attempt to erase his stepmother's rule from the history of Egypt. As to why he would do this, we can never be 100% sure. Early theories were that Tutmosa was angry that his stepmother stole the throne from him. But then, why would he wait 20 years to do this? He was already a grown man capable of making his own decisions when Hatshepsut died. 
even in modern days, theories differ over Tutmosis' course of action. There are those who think he attempted to erase Hatshepsut in order to make people forget a woman was ever on the throne. Others think it may have had something to do with legitimacy in the line of succession. With Hatshepsut out of the picture, it would seem like the throne went directly from Tutmosa II to Tutmosa III. This would strengthen the pharaoh's claim to the throne. Some scholars also think it's possible that Tutmosa's own son, Amenhotep II, was less than legitimate. But erasing Hatshepsut would cause less worry over legitimacy if Tutmosa III had come from a legitimate background. No matter what the reason was, Hatshepsut's accomplishments, piece by piece, were stricken from the history books. This continued past Tutmosa III into Amenhotep II's reign as well. Amenhotep just seemed like a fairly misogynistic guy because he saw to it that none of his wives were recorded in history, nor would they receive the usual titles of honor. And after some time, either by Tutmosa or Amenhotep's hands, Hatshepsut's temple was reimagined as the final resting place of Tutmosa III. The temple would later undergo further desecration under the rule of Pharaoh Akhenaten, whose religious priorities saw the removal of any mentions of the god Amun within the temple. Akhenaten ruled in the mid-1300s BCE, about a hundred years after Hatshepsut. But, by that time, Hatshepsut had been all but forgotten. But this would not last for forever. Archaeologists in Egypt go hand in hand, but the people of the modern era did not used to be as great at historical accuracy as we thought. Like, for instance, we didn't know hieroglyphs were a language until the early 1800s. Most historians just assumed the symbols were fancy pictures the ancient Egyptians liked to use for decoration. It wasn't until Jean-Francois Champollion decoded the Rosetta Stone in 1824 that archaeologists were suddenly able to read and understand everything they were unearthing. The Jesser Jesseru had been discovered almost a century before then, with early mentions of it dating back to about 1737. However, most historians assumed the temple had been built by and designed for a male pharaoh. You can't entirely fault them for this assumption because, as mentioned before, all the men ruling after Hatshepsut slapped their names and faces onto her monuments and temples. Also, Hatshepsut was not buried within the walls of the Jesser Jesseru. Before she ascended to the throne of Pharaoh, Hatshepsut had built a much smaller burial tomb for herself as wife of Tutmosa II. It's presumed that she was buried here along with her father. However, this is not where her mummy would eventually be found. It's assumed that Tutmosa III also had his grandfather's mummy moved, and during that time, also had Hatshepsut's mummy moved to the tomb of one of her nurses. In 1903, Egyptologist Howard Carter, a man who plays a major role in the story of King Tut, discovered what he believed to be one of Hatshepsut's sarcophagi. Unfortunately for Carter, Hatshepsut's mummy was already gone. It would not be rediscovered and identified as Hatshepsut until 2007, when scientists were able to match a tooth from a box known to be hers to a female mummy discovered in the Valley of Kings. 
I struggled back and forth a bit whether to go into more recent historical ideas of Hatshepsut, but a lot of it is just people assuming Hatshepsut was a power-hungry woman or working hand-in-hand -hand with a conniving partner, namely her steward, Senenmut. There's no questioning that Hatshepsut was a great ruler in her own right, and even if she did trick her way onto the throne, she did a very good job at leading her people afterwards. Even with a few military expeditions, her reign is known for being one of the most peaceful in Egyptian history. The only thing she possibly ever lied about was that she claimed Tutmosa I, her father, wanted her to be pharaoh all along instead of her half-brother. When it comes to these sorts of claims, we can neither prove nor disprove it, but it's probably unlikely that Tutmosa I wanted his daughter to rule. However, this claim was etched into the walls of the Jesser Jesseru. The message goes as follows. Then his majesty said to them, This daughter of mine, Hanumet Amen Hatshepsut, may she live. I have appointed as my successor upon my throne. She shall direct the people in every sphere of the palace. It is she indeed who shall lead you. Obey her words, unite yourselves at her command. The royal nobles, the dignitaries, and the leaders of the people heard this proclamation of the promotion of his daughter, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Matkara. May she live eternally. And I'll leave you with another quote from Hatshepsut herself before we leave her story. This was etched into an obelisk at the temple of Karnak. Now my heart turns this way and that, as I think what the people will say. Those who shall see my monuments in years to come, and who shall speak of what I have done. As with every great female ruler of ancient history, Hatshepsut was viewed as a controversial figure solely for her gender. All I can say against that is we are trying to do better in the modern era by making sure her efforts are remembered. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter for more info about each episode. An important announcement before we go. Next time will be something close to a season finale for the show. I'll talk more about it next episode. Also, I'm going to avoid saying what the topic is for next time, but know that it's something different that I am really looking forward to, and I hope you enjoy it as well. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. <laughs>